This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton Global Youth Program. Welcome to Future of the Business World, a podcast featuring teenage innovators with the ideas and initiative to achieve real change. I'm Diana Drake with the Wharton Global Youth Program at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. Wharton Global Youth introduces high school students to business and finance education. Business makes the world go round, and whether you might someday want to earn a business degree, or like most of us, you just want to understand how business impacts your everyday life, Global Youth has got you covered. Our podcast is a way to discover business, always connected to youth and innovation. Each month on Future of the Business World, we explore a critical theme, the entrepreneurial mindset. Even if you don't want to start your own business, you get to hear how an entrepreneur thinks, creates, builds, and problem solves, all essential skills for whatever path you choose. Today, I'm happy to welcome Carrie Lang, a student from San Anselmo, California. Carrie is the founder of Fruits of Labor, a nonprofit organization supporting Bay Area families by helping to put food on their tables. Carrie, welcome to Future of the Business World. Thank you for having me. Carrie will also be learning with us this summer in our Leadership in the Business World program. We can't wait to have you and all our summer program students back on Wharton's Philadelphia campus. So let's get to it. When I first read about fruits of labor, I immediately thought about the practice of gleaning, which is to collect leftover crops from farmers' fields and distribute them. I'm not sure if that was actually your inspiration, but can you tell us how you came up with the idea for your nonprofit and how it works? Yeah. That's actually a bit of a coincidence. I was just looking into you pick farms in my area to contact for leftover fruit, but that wasn't my inspiration, but it is kind of similar. So my mom has a green thumb, so she loves everything growable. So she hasn't had much success with planting fruit trees, but we do have an older plum and pear tree in our backyard from previous owners. And fun fact about me, I don't actually like fruit. I'm fully aware of the irony, but these trees always give a ton of fruit year after year that always went to waste. So like last summer, I was watching my mom force entire bags of fruit onto her friends. And I remember the year before in Spanish, we were talking about how COVID had disproportionately hit minority communities in my county and many were suffering from food scarcity. So I asked if we could donate it to the SF Marine Food Bank. And on the way, I saw that a lot of people had fruit trees in their yards that were dropping a lot of fruit. And I realized that there were a lot of people that were in a lot of families that were in the same position that we were. So one thing led to another. I posted on next door neighbor asking if anyone would be interested in allowing me and some friends into their backyard to pick their fruits and donate them and ended up with like five responses from all over Marin, my county within like two days. And we ended up donating over 300 pounds of fruit on the first day, which was obviously really encouraging. I kept making posts, kept gathering friends and volunteers to go to donors' houses, which is what we call people who volunteer their trees. And on a weekend, we'll clear them. We bring our own pickers. People usually have ladders that they're willing to lend us. It could be completely non-contact. And we left as many fruits as people really wanted to keep. And then we load up the car with the fruits and drive them to the SF Marin Food Bank. In economics, so we talk about supply and demand, right? What have you learned about the market need for these homegrown fruits? Is the demand profound and kind of help us see the human side of what you're building here? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, That's a flashback to my AP micro macro test. 
Uh, yeah. So I remember the time I was dropping off a load of apples to the SF food bank and there was this family there with a little girl, probably about five or six, absolutely adorable, but she was eyeing my apples. And uh, so I took one out, washed it in the sink and offered it to her. And the way her face lit up was just, I don't know, it hit me really hard, but even bigger was the mother thanked me and said, and I quote, she said, she doesn't get fresh fruit a lot outside of school. And that was really when I was like, yeah, I want to continue doing this. And I think there's a huge need for these organic homegrown fruits and not just for health reasons, though those are really significant. It's fresh fruits are such a luxury for so many people because they're produced in such abundance in a single season and they spoil so quickly. Um, Not everyone is fortunate enough to have access to fresh fruit year round. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. Like in America, there are millions of people who may not be able to afford or have access to fresh fruit. I heard a statistic that 108 billion pounds of food is wasted in the entire United States per year. And one in five people in my county suffer from food insecurity. And something that adds to the issue here is that a lot of the families who struggle to put food on the table for their families, especially during COVID, don't qualify for governmental checks or food stamps or federal help because their income is just high enough to not qualify, but it's not nearly high enough to cover the price of rent here and provide food for their families. The infrastructure you put in place is really interesting to me. I mean, it seems very simple and straightforward as well. Give us kind of an illustration of pickers and give us an illustration of donors. You know, what did the two sides really look like? Well, donors are families in our neighborhood that have fruit trees with an excess fruit. Pickers are basically just volunteers. Like they can be my friends. There are people as young as 12 have been contacting me that they want to become volunteers and become pickers. And then we go to donors' houses who volunteer their backyards and we pick their trees and clear their trees. The donors, they don't even have to come out. Like they can, obviously. We've had really nice donors who have offered us tea and cookies and things like that. Um, That's always a treat. But we can also just no contact, go into their backyards. We pick their fruits, clear out their fruits. And sometimes they'll ask us to leave some. Sometimes they don't. And then we bring them to the food bank. Yeah, and the variety of, of fruits is is pretty impressive. I guess that's a testament to California climate, right? But For sure, yeah. Pears, persimmons, uh, plums, key limes, lemons, you've got it all. Yeah. <laughs> pomegranates were a memorable one. That's when I learned pomegranate trees have thorns. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it was an interesting discovery. <laughs> So how do you ensure the quality of this? Are they just distributed so quickly that they can be eaten right away? As you said, Um, they have such a short kind of time span until they spoil. So I'm wondering how the quality is ensured. Yeah, for sure. After gathering the fruits, pickers themselves bring the fruits to the SF Marine Food Bank where it gets donated and distributed and stuff like that. So we're careful to keep track of the numbers. We'll know like which fruits come from which donor, largely so we can report to the donor, but also so I can make logs on the Fruits of Labor website. And the quality of the fruit is, since it's really all hand-picked and fresh off the tree, then donated within a day, each fruit that we pick before we put them in the bags or the boxes and weed out all the bad apples, 
ignore the pun. Uh, <laughs> and then we obviously go and donate those. And then the food bank themselves, they'll distribute it within enough time that they don't go bad. And a lot of the time, sometimes the fruits are also a little bit underripe. And the good thing about fruits is that if you let them sit even off the tree, they'll ripen themselves. If they're a little bit underripe, then there's a lot more of a time window for the food bank to distribute them or even cook them into meals and things like that. So it sounds like your partnership with the SF Marin Food Bank is really essential to the success of your social enterprise. Can you talk a little bit about how you connected with them? How are you able to forge that partnership? Oh, so the SF Marin Food Bank actually has a really amazing outreach program specifically that works with community nonprofits. So I kept returning to the SF Marin Food Bank to drop off my donations and talking to volunteers and people who came to pick up food. And they told me about this outreach program as I became more and more interested in how the food bank operated on like an entrepreneurial level because I kind of viewed it as an example because what I do is really quite similar to what the SF Marine Food Bank does. And so I reached out over email and actually began speaking with the senior events and special projects manager. It's been really invaluable because I've been able to speak to someone who is practiced in raising awareness for a cause. I've learned so much about promoting online just from scrolling through the food bank's Instagram and reaching out to people who may be interested in becoming donors. So I've been able to get advice in like events and fundraising games I could start once the season really begins to pick up. Like I have an idea for a guessing game, either online or at a fundraising fair or something where people guess how many pounds of fruit I've gathered in that one day. And then they donate $1 for each pound that they were off. And the winner gets a free pie or like the fruit donated to the SF Marin Food Bank in their name. And a lot of the latest ideas I've gotten to expand Fruits of Labor are inspired by conversations with members of the SF Food Bank and things that the organization themselves have done. Sounds very creative. I love it. Speaking of pounds of fruit, the season will be in full swing by the time you get back from Wharton this summer, right? Back to California. Do you have lots of fruit donors lined up? What is, what is your picking time looking like? I'm actually um, really excited for this season because, um, first of all, a lot of my past donors have emailed me expressing interest in being donors again, which is a good 20 houses, I think, from like at least seven different neighborhoods all over Marin. And some of these houses have multiple trees. Like one woman last year had an actual apple orchard in her backyard. So there's like five ginormous trees and no matter how hard we tried last year we couldn't really seem to clear the apples completely out but this year we're getting a jump on the season and I have a ton more volunteers that are willing and want to help out so like I've been opening branches in neighborhoods with friends who live in them that are willing to become heads and really help me out a bit um, and I don't know I'm really optimistic for this year I'm expecting to at least triple the 3,000 pounds we donated last year. What has surprised you through this process of building your nonprofit? Innovators often start with an idea and then it gains momentum and you find yourself needing more than a framework. You need serious operational skills. And just looking (laughs) at the bigger picture, I see things like the scheduling of pickers. I see making connections with families in your fruit network. I see lots of data in all those apples and pears. So how have you risen to the kind of business challenge of this and honed your leadership skills through the process? Um, Well. 
yeah, I found that there was a massive challenge with organizations. I think the most surprising thing, first of all, about creating Fruits of Labor is really the response I've gotten from my community. I mean, it's proven in the way that I've been able to donate the 3,000 pounds of fruit despite starting Fruits of Labor pretty late in the season last summer when I got back from like summer plans. And the way that I've been able to really grow my organizational and leadership skills as Fruits of Labor has evolved, I think is because so many people in my community have really taken an interest in Fruits of Labor, whether that's in becoming donors or sending emails about places I can reach out to to help raise awareness or even just reach out to to become a donor. Like one woman actually emailed me about contacting a local university that has trees on their campus that might be interested in donating. And the thing that helped me the most is realizing that I'm going to need to be able to evolve. I'm always learning from experiences, from people, from flaws in my various ideas. Like, for example, I created a flyer because a woman asked me if I could send her something she could post around her more older generational neighborhood who weren't on the internet as much. Um, And I've really had to learn how to adapt to people, whether that's like organizing events, promoting and actually catching and holding people's attentions or just scheduling picking days. Fruits of Labor has really taught me the value of building relationships with donors and volunteers and reaching out really early to make sure that no one is scrambling if and when someone contacts me with fruit trees. So I've been able to learn and grow through a good number of missteps and improve both as a leader and an innovative thinker. So would you add social entrepreneur to that title? Do you consider yourself a social entrepreneur now? I think if you go by definition of a social entrepreneur, uh, yeah, I would be considered a social entrepreneur. Fruits of Labor is nonprofit, but I did create it not only to alleviate food inequity in Marin County, but also raise awareness for the social inequities under the surface. Because the interesting thing about my community is that while we have a reputation for being like high class and things like that, there's a really large population of people who are struggling financially. But Marin is so segregated on a really structural level that people simply aren't aware of the sheer extent that other families are struggling simply because they live in another neighborhood. For like example, we have a neighborhood called the Canal where the majority of occupants are immigrants and a large portion of those people struggle to make ends meet and rely on supportive organizations like food banks to provide for themselves and their families. But so many people simply don't know that the canal exists. Or if they do, the extent of the social gap between it and other neighborhoods like Tiburon in Marin um, is really understated. And I think Marin as a community is one that wants to change. I mean, the overwhelming response to Fruits of Labor is proof that people here genuinely want to help. And I think that's another reason that I'm so persistent in continuing to grow Fruits of Labor is because I can use it as a platform to raise awareness for the distinct class gap and maybe kickstart more movements in my community that strive to close the divide themselves. So it sounds like being immersed in this has really opened your eyes to a lot of things. And I mean, has it also awakened your innovative spirit in other ways? Have you seen other ways you can improve? Obviously, what you were just talking about is one way, 
where else might innovation improve the situation? Well, Fruits of Labor actually did start pretty casually. It was something I did with one or two friends over the summer. But then more and more people became interested in being donors. And I realized just how necessary Fruits of Labor was to like the community and toward really fighting for equality. And obviously, the picking season ended pretty soon after I actually started Fruits of Labor. Minus a few outliers, we had a we did have a persimmon strip in December that was really cold, <laughs> so that was pretty memorable. But I didn't get much of a chance to really develop fruits of labor into what I wanted it to be. But then a couple months ago, I was talking with a senior or one of my friends who has a lot of experience in creating nonprofits and fundraisers, and she gave me a ton of really amazing advice and suggestions. And this season, I reached out to a number of philanthropic organizations in my area to help me promote and give advice. I obviously reached out to the SF Run Food Bank. I connected to some newspapers. Like I had a KCBS radio interview a month ago-ish that got me some new donors. And I also really started utilizing social media, which is actually something I need to be more consistent about now that picking season is beginning to come back in. And I am also thinking about getting on TikTok. I don't know how effective that would be. And as I mentioned before, I do have plans to reach out to some U-Pick farms in my area once they open to see if they ever have leftover fruit I could come by and pick up. So those are some areas of improvement that I've been thinking about. So while you're doing this on a local level, hunger is obviously a global crisis. What broader insights have you learned about food insecurity that you think might inform how you make decisions and solve problems in the future? Well, as you said, food insecurity is on a global level and it's so interconnected with so many other social issues like race and class. And I think that interconnectedness is my biggest takeaway when I'm brainstorming ways to work towards solving these types of issues because you really can't think of them as separate concepts. I think it's obviously a little daunting, but I think we have to start tackling these issues as one collective problem, because I think that's the only way we're really going to make lasting change. Otherwise, there could be a few steps forward in one area. But while we're so hyper-focused on that specific area of inequality, another area could be taking several steps back. If we want to use the metaphor of the economy and supply and demand, The economy doesn't grow until long-run supply increases, and that means an increase in the root number of products available for production. So otherwise, the economy will just adjust back to the quantity where we started, and sometimes even with higher prices. So we really have to go to the root of racial and class inequalities to make enough lasting change, and that means addressing them as a collective issue. A question I ask all of our guests on Future of the Business World is, if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Ooh, okay. So this isn't really a tangible thing, but I would make people pay more attention to things like current events and social issues. So with more awareness comes more forces and more calls for change. So I would never have actually started Fruits of Labor if leaders of the Canal Alliance didn't come speak to my Spanish class about the class divide and the way COVID lockdown has really affected minority communities in my county. And my generation is so passionate and so vocal just in general. 
And I truly believe that people my age, we want to see social change and we want to help and we want to really get involved in this world that we've been given. Like I said, I had 12 year olds contacting me interested in being pickers. But I think we as a generation, we're so exposed to so many issues that sometimes I think we feel a little bit overwhelmed and we don't really know what we can do to make that change, both because we're young and because there's just so much to do. There's so much that we want to change. And I think the greatest thing about Fruits of Labor is that I'm able to show kids that there are ways that we can make a difference. And the key ingredient in really improving social issues such as inequality, and not just in food and like class and gender and race, the key ingredient is really just going for it, like helping each other help people. I think it's a lot of collaboration and a lot of brainstorming and just really going for it and seeing what you can make out of the resources that you're given and the opportunities that you have. Let's wrap up with our lightning round. Try to answer these quickly. What would we catch you binge watching at midnight? Madam Secretary. It's on Netflix. It's very good. (laughs) What is your favorite fruit? Tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that's a cop out, but yeah. Finish this sentence. In 10 years, I hope to be... Proud of my achievements and the difference I've made. What is your everyday superpower? Officially, time management. Inofficially, my ability to complete a Rubik's Cube. I'm very proud of that one. You are the new host of a business-themed talk show. Who is your first guest and why? Oof, Marilyn Houston. Partly because she's a really accomplished woman in the business world, and I would love to learn everything I can from her. This talk show would totally be an excuse to fangirl and steal ideas. Sorry. But also because my dad was the vice president of Lockheed International Operations, which is the company that Marilyn Houston works for. And he never got the chance to tell me about his experience working in the business field and really managing for Lockheed. And I think Marilyn Houston, even though she obviously is working now and not when my dad worked for Lockheed, would be able to fill in a lot of gaps and answer a lot of questions I have. Excellent. Carrie, I wish you the best of luck with Fruits of Labor, and I look forward to seeing you on the Wharton campus this summer. Thank you for joining us on Future of the Business World. Thank you. I am really excited to be here. Discover more opportunities for high school students and educators at globalyouth.wharton.upenn.edu.